James, the fourth chapter. James, the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 13. And would you like to go there where we have just sung about, where the soul never dies? I've said many times over the last many years that when this life is over, I want to go to heaven. But I want to try to influence as many others as I possibly can to go there too. Heaven is that home of the soul. We often sing the song, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And that is so true. This is not our real, our permanent home. Heaven will be our permanent home if we make it there. And I want to make it there, and I want to help as many of us as I possibly can make it there. And this lesson that I'm presenting tonight at least is sort of a trial run of the first lesson that I will be presenting next Saturday, next Saturday night at the Campbell Road Church in Garland. And, of course, this is a, they call it the senior. This is designed, this meeting next weekend is designed especially for senior citizens. And so the title I've given to this lesson tonight is What to Do in Senior Years. This will be one of the two lessons. The second lesson I plan... I plan, I've entitled it, if I can remember how I entitled it, <laughs> yes, Living the Senior Years in View of Heaven. Living, living the Senior Years in View of Heaven. But James wrote in James the fourth chapter at verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The Lord tells us how to live a good life, how to live a life that's pleasing to him. Of course, that involves the means of forgiveness the way to be forgiven of our sins. For none of us who are responsible be beings can claim that we have lived a sinless, perfect life and that God owes us salvation. None of us, none of us as uh, responsible beings will get there on that basis. <clears throat> the New Testament clearly teaches that and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God 
and that the only way that anyone who has committed even one sin will be able to receive forgiveness from God and spend eternity in heaven is through the grace and the mercy of God, through forgiveness. But there are stipulations that must be done. There are things that we must do in faith in order to receive those great blessings. So our lives are to be lived in recognition of the will of God. Not only what may be possible or included in his will, what we can do from day to day, but what we must do overall in our lives in order to be pleasing in his sight, in order to be prepared to go to heaven when this life is over. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the wise man Solomon, in closing that book, in the final chapter, he tells the young folks, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. He starts the chapter like that. And then it begins to describe the aging process. And those of you who are, and I'm one of you, if you're a senior citizen, I'm one, I'm one of you. Over the recent years, I've been saying to people when they ask me my age or I tell them my age without them asking, I say, I'm just so-and-so. Well, at 90 years old, it's kind of hard to make myself think that, well, I'm just that anymore. I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord has blessed me with health and with long life. I've enjoyed, and I'm still enjoying life. Enjoy what I still try to do, even from the standpoint of physical labor and work and play. Still enjoy playing golf. And uh, especially enjoy being with you folks, my brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping with you, serving God, knowing you, and letting you help me. And I hope help you prepare for heaven when this life is over. Well, here in this 12th chapter, he starts out reminding the youth, remember the Creator in the days of your youth. And then, he, as I said, he begins to describe the process of aging and how we, our vision sometimes leaves us in our hearing. And I have good vision, but my hearing is not what it used to be. I'm thankful for what I still have, but it's not as good as it used to be. And, of course, I can tell my legs are not what they used to be. My balance is not what it used to be. I have to be careful with that. I'm thankful so far I have not fallen. And that's kind of, I think it's kind of amazing in one way because it would be so easy to fall when you have difficulty in keeping your balance, especially in certain situations. I get in the yard, walking around the unlevel ground and so forth. I have to be careful. But he describes aging. And in the sixth verse, he begins to describe life near the end of life. Remember your cre creator before the silver cord is loosed. 
or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. And those are symbolic descriptions of the process of dying. And so he says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. Remember, Genesis 2 tells us our bodies are made out of the dust of the earth, have the same chemicals in them as the dust of the earth has, and created the first man from the dust of the earth, his body. So the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit return to God who gave it. Will return to God who gave it. But that is, we'll return in God's favor if we follow in the footsteps of his son and do his will. And in verse 13, right at the end of the chapter then, he said, let us, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And actually, the passage is saying, this is the whole, W-H-O-L-E. This is what our life is about. It's what it should be about. It's what God wants our lives to be about. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. And so, Solomon finishes his instructions about growing old, giving these instructions about what's necessary for us to do in order to prepare for heaven. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. One of the things that we already know from these statements is that retirement from physical labor, secular work, does not include the idea of retiring from serving the Lord. Sometimes I see people that seem to me, they seem to think that, well, I'm retired. It's not necessary for me to do much of anything so far as some folks don't want to even attend church regularly when they would be able to do so. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't have the right to sit in judgment on whether someone is able to be here. They ought to know that themselves. But I've seen situations, not, not a whole lot of times, but I've seen situations in which it appears that they think that they no longer have any responsibility to do the things that they've been doing throughout their life in service to God. There may be some things that we will not be able to do that we've done in the past, but there are still some things that we're able to do. And we must, and that raises the question, well, what, what are the kind of things that we can do as we grow older, in our later years of life, in our in our years before we meet the appointment of death. What could I do? What should I do? What are the possibilities? Well, in a general way, from the standpoint of general answer to that, the, Apo the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians, the third chapter, Philippians 
2, first of all. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 5. He says, beginning of verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What we have just read was the kind of attitude that Jesus Christ had. Why was it that he went even to that death on the cross? He did that looking out for my welfare and your welfare, not only for this life, but also for eternity. And that's the kind of mind, that's the kind of attitude that the Lord wants us to have. And he goes ahead talking about he submitted to coming to this earth and living in the flesh and giving his life so that we could be saved from our sins. And in verse 12 he says, Therefore, verse 12 of Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now you have to put that verse in the category where it belongs. Some people would read that and say, well, I thought, I thought uh, the Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace, not by what we do. Well... We are saved by grace, the grace of God, and without that we would have no hope. But there are things that we must do in faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. And so there are things that we must do, and those things sometimes are called obedience, sometimes they're called works. But they are works of faith. They are not works of sinless perfection. They are works of faith. And for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Notice all of those expressions. Holding fast the word of life. What is that word of life? We have it right here in this book called the New Testament. Holding forth the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. So, let's do what we can, what we have the ability to do as long as we can in service to God. Look with me. One of the things that's telling us is from uh, 2 Peter, the third chapter, at verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in, notice it, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. What does he tell us to do? He says, grow. And somebody, somebody like me might say, well, 
I've already grown. I, I'm through growing. No. I should have the attitude that I want to grow every moment that I have left in this life. I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching us. We must have the attitude that we want to grow. In also, we must have the attitude that we have a responsibility to be a good influence. In Matthew 5, at verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is thin, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under foot of men. You want to be regarded like that? You are the light of the world. That's how we should want to be. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light, and that light that is ours, is a reflection of the light of our Lord. We reflect his light as the moon reflects the light of the sun in the nighttime. And so that's talking about influence. And the older we get, we can have more influence. A lot of times we can have more influence when we're old than we can when we're young. That's a very important matter for us to keep that in mind. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, at verse 23, in fact, Drew used this passage this morning, and whatever you do, do it heartily. What does that mean? Do it heartily, <laughs> with all your might. Do it enthusiastically. Do it because you want to do it, because you love doing it. So he says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You remember those passages over there in Ephesians 6 chapter? That talking to, in the days when they had slaves, talking to slaves that were Christians, telling them to obey their masters. And then in that context, he also says to obey them as, you, as if you were obeying the Lord himself. That's how important our relationship with other people, our relationship in this world are, is that we are to serve others. We are to serve one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to serve our neighbors. We are to serve God. And we are to serve those who are in need. There are a lot of things that we can do along that line, even after we get to these later years of life. And do it heartily. Do what we do as if we were doing it to the Lord. For actually we are, as in that passage in Matthew, the 25th chapter, when the people ask the Lord, well, when did we do those things to you? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren. So we have examples in the Bible of people of age. And you could probably think of the, all 
four of the ones that I'm going to name. There are many more than that, but four that I'm going to mention in this lesson tonight, briefly. First one is Noah. You remember how old Noah was when he finished the ark? He was 600 years old. Of course, we live in a different time, in a different age time than Noah did. I don't know how you would compare that with our age length today. But those ages didn't last all that long, and we'll see some others that comes more in line with our situation. But since he entered that ark, he finished that ark and entered that ark when he was 600 years old. And we've often heard the statement, and that's based upon some things that we're told. We're told in, in the fifth chapter, I believe it is, that he was 500 years old, and he begot his three sons. So someone came up with the idea, and maybe, maybe I've just forgotten where to find that, but it took Noah about, a, he possibly worked 120 years in building that ark and preparing for that flood. So even if you take off those hundred years and more, he was still, he was still an aged man when he started that ark. And so we have him used as an example of faith over in the New Testament. Hebrews, the seventh chapter, or Hebrews, the eleventh chapter, excuse me. Hebrews, the eleventh chapter, by faith and by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So, he has set us a good example. And he did this after he was of great, in our eyes at least, of great, great age. Not only did he prepare work that all those years, preparing, building that ark, but we're also, to, we're also told that he did, uh, he did evidently quite a bit of preaching. In 2 Timothy 2 at verse 5, Verse 4, beginning, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, we'll not talk about it tonight, but in the third chapter of First Peter, he talks some more about that particular time and uh, where the Lord preached to the spirits in prison evidently he did that preaching through the preaching that Noah did and it was done Not it's not being done now it was done in the days of Noah and so Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he was evidently trying to get people to listen to God and listen to God's will he did all of that preaching, and he wasn't very successful. He only saved his family. 
But I'll tell you what, if we save our family, we have done something, haven't we? And that's one area in which we can work. I want to say, before I get through tonight, I want to say a little bit more about that. But then there's Abraham. You remember how old he was when God told him to leave his country and to go into this place he didn't even know where he was going? And we're told that by faith, Abraham went, just like God told him to do. How old was he? Seventy-five years old. Well, that gets down into our range of age, doesn't it? And he lived a while after that. Went into that land and built altars and sacrificed to God. and Lived a good life. Intense. He was kind of, I guess, what you'd call nomadic type person in that in that day. And that's one of the reasons why it talks about him looking for a homeland. Because the one that he had here, even though his heirs, of course, received it according to the promise of God. But by faith we are told that Abraham that's also in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would after receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He dwelt, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And that's the place we all want to go to. <clears throat> then there's Jacob. Jacob, of course, you remember, had the twelve sons, Joseph being one of those sons. And the one thing that I want to mention about him, he he was nearing death when we read of him over in Genesis, the 50th chapter, last chapter of Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, you know what they began to think about. They began to think about what they had done to Joseph, their brother. And how now that Father is gone. He's dead. How is Joseph going to treat us? When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, and they're quoting from their father, Jacob, now. This is what Jacob said to Joseph. I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please, now the brothers pick up, they say to Joseph, now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept 
when they spoke to him. You know, by this time he had certainly a, he had a lot different picture than when those brothers came the first time to buy food in Egypt and he recognized them. He had some plans evidently for them at first that we're not told much about. That wasn't necessary. But as he began to listen to those brothers of his, and when one of those brothers even offered to take the place of his younger brother and stay in Egypt until they could, until they could bring others down. And heard him make the speech that he made about what had happened and now the change of attitude that they had. At that instant, he also had to go into another room because he didn't want to, he didn't want them to see him crying, shedding tears for them at that time. And now it probably didn't make any difference whether they saw him or not. So then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. And I don't know exactly what all he may have meant by that, but I know one thing he meant. I'm going to do what God wants me to do with regard to this. Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it is this day to save many people alive. Therefore, now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. As older folks, we can learn a lot from that story and the attitude of Joseph. Let's, especially in our old age, and we should have it all along, but in our old age, be forgiving. Be tender-hearted. Be be generous with other people and kind. Live the kind of life that will be a good example as we've already talked about. And of course, Jacob, is a good demonstration of teaching his son, Joseph, to be that kind of person. And then there's Moses. I'll just give you a little bit of history of that without doing much reading about it. But you remember he was 40 years old when he killed the when he killed the Egyptian who was fighting against one of the Hebrew men and he had to flee from Egypt went into the desert near the Mount Sinai Midian and uh, he was 40 years old when that happened he was there as a shepherd for 40 years. You remember how God got his attention. 
he presented that burning bush before him and told him he had, he had work for him to do. How old was he then? He was 80 years old. What did, what did he tell Moses to do? He said, I am appointing you to go back to Egypt and deliver my people out of Egypt. And he did a little bit of arguing about that at first, but he submitted and he went. And you remember how long he led those children of Israel in the, from there to Canaan to the short, to the nearby. He didn't get to go in with them, but he went to the mountain that he could look over and see the country. That wilderness wandering was for 40 years. How old is he now? 120 years old. Well, that's getting down pretty close. I had a great aunt up in Arkansas that lived to be, like in about a month, lived to be 109 years. So, especially those of us who are in our 70s and 80s and 90s, I know that there are those who have the kind of health problems and so forth sometimes that just enable them to do hardly anything. Everything has to be done for them. Diseases that people have, accidents that they have, and so forth. You understand that I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about people like us that are here today. We still have ability to do some things that we've been always been able to do. Not everything, maybe, but we can do some things that we've been able to do through the years. Let us not use age as an excuse. That's one of the reasons why, just make a personal reference, that I made, that I started thinking about how I wanted, what I wanted to do in the later years of my life. I've seen older preachers struggle to try to get brethren to use them as their full-time preacher in the full pit, even into their 80s, throughout their 80s sometimes, that I didn't want to have to beg brethren to let me preach for them full-time, be their full-time preacher from the pulpit. And so I started to think about the arrangement that I'm in. I would offer the same arrangement down at Houston at Clanwood Church. But the heart of Alma and me, we were for different reasons. Her mother was still living, for one. And this had become our second home. This is where our, both of our children grew up, graduated from high school. And this was always home, in one sense, wherever we were. And so it worked out that we were able to do what we've been doing since, uh, since back here. And I've not only done the, you know, I started, those of you who may not know this, when I first came back, I started with the same plan, two sermons a month here. And, uh, of course, until about, well, even until 2019, I continued to hold meetings. 
I held some, something over 130 meetings since I've been back here to Mount Pleasant. So that was a very enjoyable part of my work, and I enjoyed that. But because of age, even though I get some invitations to do like we're going to do next weekend, and then in September over at Fort Worth also doing a senior uh, sermon, uh, there are there, there, there's just things that I've, I'm thankful that I've been able to do, and the Lord has blessed me with good enough health uh, to do some of these things. And so that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about tonight. But, well, what are just for the next few minutes? What are some of the things? Well, one of the things is to the best of our ability attend all of the services that we can. All of the church services. Do not forsake the assembling together if it's possible for us to be here. That's one of the ways that we can serve others, have fellowship with others who are doing the same thing, and have a good influence upon anybody who is around us. Continue to read and study the scriptures. Don't just depend on what we get here at the building. That's good to come and get that. But, uh, and I know there are a lot of older people that are good about reading their Bible. And that's good. Visiting those that we can be of service to. Visiting widows and orphans. Uh, that's individual responsibility, of course, in many instances. And we can fulfill that individually. Be generous to those who are in need, whether it's our neighbors that we know and we know that they're truly in need. That's not to say, you know, if a man will not work, neither let him eat. The Bible says that also. But there are many people, our neighbors, that get into difficulty sometimes and can use help. And however you can help them, if, if not in some physical way, labor or something, and you can help them financially, we'll be generous with regard to that. Help brothers and sisters in Christ in those ways also. These principles include a number of actions, like taking food to people, praying for the sick, and those having health pro helping those who are having health problems and problems with their faith. Be of encouragement to people. Be encouraging rather than uh, putting people down and so forth. And last, uh, I want to talk from that standpoint, I want to talk just a little bit about helping the younger generation. Think about what's going on in our society today. And most of us as older folks we're standing where we stood when we were young, if we were standing for truth then. We're standing where we were standing then. I haven't changed my views on moral issues and questions. Why is that? Because I'm following the same book that I started out with following the same message from God that I started out with. Listen to me. 
One of the problems we're having today is that people are listening to everything else besides what's in this book called the Bible. But I'll tell you what happens with regard to that. They'll never be established in their view. Oh, some will go farther than others do. But have you noticed that those people in right now who said that they would not accept certain things are now accepting those things within the last 20 years or less. Why? Because if you don't have a definite standard, an objective standard that cannot be wrong and never changes, if you don't have that as the guide in your life, what's going to happen to you? You're going to just be floating around trying to figure out what you're going to do next and what you're going to believe next, what you're going to be able to approve of next and so forth. You'll never have your feet firmly set in what's right and wrong. That doesn't mean sometimes we learn that we, we, uh, we didn't know the answer to something or we didn't know what was right with regard to some one point along the way, but we've used, we're still using the same standard with which to change our minds and change our hearts. I'm saying to us, we can help our younger generation as older people, especially with our children and with our grandchildren, if we can in kindness and in pleading, not in telling them off, not in being ugly to them, but in letting them know that you are, you are genuinely interested and concerned about where they will spend eternity and you just want to help them and try to ground them in the idea that they've got to follow what God says to us instead of going along with everything that people of this world want to come up with. Drew has been recently teaching us some good things with regard to that, and I appreciate it. So, we got to keep heaven in view. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, at verse 58, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And then there's Jesus' statement in the book of Revelation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. If you're here tonight and you want to be sure that you have that crown of life, you want to go to heaven. You want to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You need to come in the initial steps of faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Or you need to come as one who has already done those steps according to the teaching of the Scriptures. But you have not been faithful. Come in repentance of your sins and prayers to God. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you.
Won't you come right now as together we stand and sing? Tis the grandest thing to the ages wrong. Tis the grandest thing for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest thing that the world and Son our God is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed unto him for rest, our God is able to deliver thee. Tis the grandest theme, let the tidings roll to the guilty heart, to the sinful soul. Look to God in faith, he will make thee whole, our God is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed, come to him for rest. Our God is able to deliver thee.